But uh, anyway, 1 Peter chapter 5. And when I do this, I like to give a little context. And first of all, we're going to note that in 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, we're elect. Those that are in Christ are elect. Of the dispersion, that's a Jewish term that the apostle Peter changes to talk about the scattering. And of course, in Israel, the dispersion was they were kicked out of their homeland. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, here's, here's a map. You see here Asia, you see Bithynia, you see Pontus, you see Galatia, Cappadocia. And so that area right there, this is the audience that Peter is addressing and has been addressing for the first four chapters. So what was happening? These believers who were scattered in this region were encountering persecution. I can't make this stuff up. It's in the history. Go read history. You would see it's true. Emperor Neo Claudius Caesar was on the throne. You see, he ruled from 37 to 68 AD and thankfully did not rule after that. Nero's persecution against Christians. There's a lot of parallels here with that persecution and what we are experiencing right now, at least I think. 64 AD, persecution begins. Some scholars believe that that Peter wrote this just before the persecutions began. Some scholars say it, it started exactly in 64, and some say that Peter wrote it shortly after. So we are in a ballpark around 64 AD is when the persecutions started happening. The persecutions were more social and religious. So if you were a born-again believer, you weren't in a certain social class you were considered an outcast. Your voice was muted. And then there were religious persecutions. Slander, ridicule, discrimination against Christians began in earnest. Maybe 65, 66, two years into this, there was intense persecutions and they intensified. Against that backdrop, against that environment, you see the shepherd staff. The pastor then had to help the congregation navigate the environment. Much like today, social media, you do realize, and I'm on several of them, social media mutes the Christian voice. In fact, you watch television, you watch any show currently on, Christians are painted as ignorant and dumb people. That's exactly what's happening in our culture today. So maybe not to the extent of this, but it is happening in our culture today. And against that backdrop, myself and other pastors are having to guide and lead their sheep in this environment and encourage them and challenge them. So really today, the sermon is all about me. <laughs> I, I have a cup. I didn't bring it, but it says, no, the sermon is not about you. 
<laughs> it, it really is kind of about me today. So Peter is writing here, and he's writing to elders. And let me put my glasses back on because I'll need those. So first of all, pastors shepherd the flock. Pastors shepherd the flock. Look at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. Exhort, it's not, it's not an imperative in the Greek language. There are imperatives in the Greek language. But here the word exhort means to highly encourage, to highly recommend that, that you do this. Uh, take note of it, watch it, and be ready to respond. I exhort the elders presbyteros, presbyteros, and this is what it looks like uh, in the Greek language. A person of responsibility and authority in matters of socio-religious concerns, both Jewish and Christian societies. So Peter is now using this word presbyteros in the context of, of those who have an authority within the body of Christ. And again, he says, I want to exhort you. I want you to pay close attention to what I'm getting ready to say, particularly in, in all of this chapter. Today's about me, next week's about you, and, and then we'll go from there. But he's exhorting them as some type of function. Now, the word can refer to somebody that is elderly, but that is not the case here. Here it is in the sense of some type of established authority within the church. And let me say this. Let me, let me say this. This is in the plural. Elders is in the plural. Which said to me, and most scholars, and I would agree with this, that there were a plurality of elders in the church. There wasn't one central pastor. There were multiple pastors. So... Uh, you talk about multiple staff churches. That's fine. Uh, so there is, a, there is room for allowance of multiple elders within the body of Christ and in, in a particular church. Now the question is, what did New Testament elders do? That's a really good question. Presbyteros, I equate that with pastors. So you could say, I exhort you pastors among you, which is in an isolated location, whether in Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Galatia, wherever it may be, are those elders. Uh, maybe you have one pastor here and you have three over here. Depends on, the, on the, the geographics. So what do pastors do? New Testament elders, and I'm going to give you just, just a few. Uh, Number one, they shepherd the flock. That's actually a very beautiful term. Shepherding is not beating. Some pastors make the serious mistake of thinking they can lord over their congregations. I've never tried to do that. There have been times in 33 years of pastoral ministry when I said, absolutely, we will not do this. Or absolutely, we will do this. this is, those are rare occasions. One time a church told me, the deacon said, the Bible is not inerrant. And I was floored. 
there's very few times. Shepherding, shepherding is a loving term. Uh, this one, administrative, rule the church, guide or direct in 517, uh, where Paul writes to Timothy, let elders who rule well be worthy of double honor. And that, that means double pay, actually. It's compensation, double compensation, especially, especially those who preach and teach. So here you have, you have primary roles. One is administrative, where the, the pastor guides the congregation. And the ultimate responsibility of a pastor, the ultimate responsibility, at least what I think it is, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, be prepared in season, out of season, rebuke, record, uh, exert, or encourage with long patience and suffering. That's a mandate. Any pastor that gets in the pulpit that likes to play around, uh, and I was so grateful for that young man. Boy, he just, bam. I was like, whoa, I was blown, I was blown away. I said, I, you know what? I could listen to this kid all day long. He had my attention for 45 minutes. Of course, I thought it was just going to be a little sermonette, but he hammered it, and really good for him. And I hope he keeps that. Preach and teach. That's a primary mission. Uh, lead in functions of the church, James 5.14. If anyone is sick, let the elders come together and anoint that person. I have anointed people when they've been sick. Some of those have gotten better. Some have not. But the fact is, in, when we talk about officiating, we're talking about baptism, Lord's Supper, anything that is an official function of the church. Most important, well, I've been saying that a lot, most important, they're all important, but um, protect the church. Let me read you from the book of Acts, chapter 20. This is Luke writing. Pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God you are the church of God I am the shepherd but I am to watch myself and watch over you which he obtained with his own blood I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. Throughout the histories, history of the church, there have been dangerous doctrines that have blown through the church. And this is just as relevant as it was then, as it is today. Brothers and sisters, we need to watch ourselves. We need to watch our doctrine. It's very important. There are some things that we can never, ever compromise. There are some things we must make a stand on. There are some things that are so important that we cannot give in to the cultural whims of the day. We can't sidestep the issue of sin. Sin is a reality. People are lost outside of Christ. 
And therefore, as a church and as a pastor, we cannot sidestep the issue when it's not readily accepted. So therefore, and we do that lovingly. We do that lovingly. Got to remember that. You look at Jesus' life, he spent time with sinners. Get out there, spend time with sinners. They need to know Jesus. Love them the way Christ would love them. So then, Peter now, having said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter is simply saying, I'm one of you. By the way, Peter was considered the day an ignorant fisherman. It's interesting. I went to a, I've been in a doctorate program. I went through the doctorate program. And I can tell you this, there's people with PhDs and MDivs that are dumb as rocks. And I've met a couple of them. PhD, what I call piled higher and deeper. Peter was ignorant according to standards. But he was sold out for Jesus. And God used him in mighty ways. And yes, Peter has his faults. And by the way, all of us have faults. Look at King David. Look at what he did. And yet, in the same breath, the scripture says, David was a man after God's own heart. Peter, I will never deny you, Lord. And, and, and yeah, I did. <laughs> Three times? Yes, we all, have, we all have mistakes, but I'm going to tell you this. Peter was a man after God's own heart. And that's all it really requires. You don't have to be gifted or talented. God can use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We're doing that on Wednesday nights, by the way. They listen to me and the foolish things. <laughs> yeah. Then he mentions here the sufferings of Christ. Why? Why did he put it here? Not one commentator that I read gave it really a notice, but I think I know why. Because that is why we are doing what we are doing. It also checks our motives. When you live your Christian life, remember the sufferings of Christ. It will guide you. As I do my ministry, remember, Pastor, the sufferings of Christ. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about the one who redeemed us. So Peter puts that in there, not as an addendum or an extra point. He puts that in there as a sense of motivating. This is why you need to listen, and this is why you need to do your eldership to your fullest potential because of what Christ went through here the cross is a difficult thing and yet Jesus said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me this is not an easy life brothers and sisters go out to the U of I go out in this community 
and you talk about Jesus, wait for it. It's coming. So Peter says, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and here's the good news, here's the good news, as well as the partaker in the glory that is coming that will be revealed. Koinonos. And the word partaker there, koinonos, means one who joins in. Listen, listen. There is a glory waiting for you and for me. When we cross that finish line and we see our Savior face to face, it will be a glorious day. It will be a wonderful day to see Jesus face to face. And Peter says, although it's difficult in this life, and also you will have trials, and you will have tribulation, and you will have personal persecution, there's coming a day when glory will outweigh everything that we've experienced here. I don't consider that an extra point. I consider that a main motive. By the way, as you're living out there in this world, remember the sufferings of Christ, but also remember the weight of glory, which tips the scales. And the stuff that we go through now is fleeting. I like what Thomas Schreiner wrote in his commentary. The reference to Christ's suffering is obviously intentional. Yes, it is. For as the epistle has made clear, suffering is the pathway to glory. That's an excellent statement. Think about that. Christ suffered. He carried his cross. But what ended at the cross, which Satan thought was defeat, Jesus turned to victory. The pathway of suffering leads to glory. And someday we can, we're, oh boy, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Will I dance for you, Jesus? Will I just be still? I love that song. What is the name of that song again? I can only imagine. Thank you, Ruth. I've got a picture of you here in a minute. No. <laughs> yeah. So know that. <clears throat> Life's difficult. Life's difficult, but I'm going to tell you. Having seen way too many, actually, I, I don't like it being by the deathbeds of people. Uh, brothers and sisters, I could tell you stories that just amazing. How they embrace Christ at the end. It's awesome. Somebody once told me it's the dying that bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Hold that. Hold that. Everything else may be falling down in your life, broken, battered, beaten. But know this. There's a, R.G. Lee preached a sermon one time, payday someday. There's a, there's a payday coming. And that payday is get to see Jesus. Wow. The call, the call now in 2A, this is for me, shepherd the flock of God, that is among you. He doesn't write, shepherd the flock of Pastor Mike Frazier that is among you. He doesn't write, shepherd the flock 
of one of the deacons. He says, shepherd the flock of God. You are the flock of God. For better or worse, I'm your shepherd. Until you decide to get rid of me. Which, I don't know, it's up to you. <laughs> Poimino. Poimino is the word for shepherd. Poimino. To lead with the implication of providing for. To guide, to help, to guide and take care of. I've seen, it was a pastor in our association. He's no longer in the association. The way he talked to his people was reprehensible. It's my way or the highway. That is not the way to pastor. Because here, what I'm reading from the literal translation, to lead, to lead, with the implication of providing for, that means whatever you need in your life. When, when you come to talk to me and say, Pastor Mike, I'm having a problem. I will give you some type of guidance or some type of something that will help you. That's providing for. Guide to help, guide and take care of. My job is to take care of your spiritual needs. Now there may have been times here, I can't remember them, my age, starting to catch up. You've been a good, you've been a good congregation. I've never felt threatened. In fact, six years ago when we had that blow up, I felt very protected by the ones that love me. You stood up for me. I didn't think I'd need tissue. This is the image that I got in my heart this week. And I've switched over from Google to DuckDuckGo, but that's a shepherd. That is a really good image of a shepherd. It's not somebody that beats the sheep. It's somebody that loves the sheep. So a shepherd is a very loving image. Now, Ruth, I'm getting ready to show you. This is what it looks like in Israel. You, you see the shepherd, and, and right there is Ruth. I don't know why I'm, I just picked on you this morning, Ruth. No, no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Uh, I can see there's some trouble right there. <laughs> is, is that is that you? Uh, oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of standard. The sheep are around, the, the shepherd's kind of in the middle, kind of looking. Have you ever heard, have you ever seen shepherds call sheep? Have you ever seen that? Okay, I'm going to play a video. This is actually a, a woman who is calling her sheep. The thing to remember is the sheep will not move 
if they don't hear the shepherd's voice. The sheep will stay. So watch this. This is awesome. Sheep, come on, sheep. Come on, sheep. It gets funnier. No thanks. <laughs> That's like some churches. Come on, sheep. Come on. Come on. Come on, sheep. Good girls. Come on. I like the last one, boy. He's just way up. Now watch, watch the last one, Superman. <laughs> yeah. If you watch <clears throat> videos, and there were some that had the shepherd said, I want you to go to the fence line, I want you to call the sheep. And they were going, here's sheep, here's sheep. And the sheep just looked at him like, who's that? And right back down, he, as soon as the shepherd said it, the heads were up and they came. So when I look at this, the shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd and the flock, there should be that loving relationship. If anyone hears my voice, they will follow me. Jesus said that. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Peter goes on to say here, the call involves shepherding the flock of God. Episcopal, episcopal, oversight, exercising oversight. It means to minister to, to be responsible for, and to care for. It is a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. There, you, ever, you ever notice here that it was not iron fist that's not the way it's supposed to be the idea is the shepherd is supposed to love the sheep so much that he will go out of his way to protect that sheep and I, I know many people have come to me with their problems and I've tried to help I've even gone into their places of business with them to help mediate what I could. So the, shep the pastors shepherd the flock, but they have to do it with a godly attitude. 
They have to do it with a godly attitude. Now let's look at the wrong ways. 2B, C, 3A. You go, what is that? I'm just breaking down the phrases. So it makes it easier to understand. Listen to what Peter writes. So exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not for shameful gain. And look at this last one. Not domineering over those in your charge. So, see, whenever I get emotional on a sermon, my nose starts to drain. And I can't blow my nose up here. But Negative motives. What I call motives. Something pastors, elders should never, ever do. Under compulsion, being forced to pastor. Now, having said that, Every pastor, including myself, has violated that at one point or another. There's an old joke among us pastors. I resign every Monday. And I'll give you an example. My last church. That was the most ridiculous issue you remember that our church I didn't know it at the time had split off from the other church and because this church over here liked me they said pastor why don't we try to bring these two churches together and reconcile something that happened 60 years before and I said, okay. I knew every deacon over here. I considered them godly deacons. Mine, I was surprised. But we had joint worship services where we were hitting 250. We brought those two churches together. I kind of stepped back and let them. I was in a deacons meeting with like 20 deacons. And we were praying and I felt the spirit moving. And then when they had the meeting, we did that for a month. People in the community were saying, is this really happening? And I said, I don't know, but I can tell you this. Nurseries were overflowing. Our church was completely packed, which housed at least 250. They had chairs brought in on the side. I could feel the spirit of God. And then my own congregation on the night of the meeting, started saying, you're trying to steal our pastor. And it got into a word, uh, it, it got into accusations, things were flying around, and what I did was, I was sitting up front, I got up, and I walked out the back of the church, and I slammed the door. My resume went out that evening. For three months, for three months, I was forced to pastor. But there's one thing I never did. There's one thing I never did. I never got up in the pulpit and said, okay, I'm going to get you. I was in a series. That's the best way to protect yourself is being in a series. Every pastor has been there at some point. You don't live there. And I think Peter here has in mind of pastors who do it because I don't want to do this. Then you really shouldn't. In, in, in fact, if you can do anything else in life, do it. 
you should never be forced to pastor. And uh, it's not a shining moment, but that led to me coming here. That led to me being your pastor. Not under compulsion. Not for shameful gain or greedy profit. This leads most scholars to believe, and probably true, that the elders probably controlled the financial end of it, which means there's a lot of issues that could arise from the pastor controlling the funds. Four for me, one for the church. <laughs> Twelve for them, one for the church. That becomes problematic. It's quite possible, because the church was still trying to find its way, that pastors did, and Peter was saying, you've got to be careful. Iskrotirdos, shameful gain. D. Edmund Hebert writes this, This does not prohibit the elder from receiving a fair wage for honest toil. Peter, like Paul, accepted the ordinance of Christ. The worker deserves a wage. But Peter is warning against taking up a work simply for material gain. Most smaller churches, medium-sized churches, it's usually not an issue. It's usually when you start pastoring the bigger churches, it becomes problematic. Or when you have a television show, reach out, touch the screen, and pass me your green. Got to be careful with that. Thirdly, and I think more importantly, domineering to reign over, to overpower, or subdue. And like I said, Peter's right. Of course, Peter wrote this through God's divine direction. Does it usually go well when a pastor is an authoritarian? I met a pastor one time, it freaked me out. Uh, maybe I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not going to share that, but it was, wow, really? You, do, you pastor like that? That's not the way to do it, bro. If I were you, I might, might take a gun in the pulpit. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for that would not be an advantage to you. Basically, a relationship exists between me and you. And I have to be reminded that I am the shepherd, but I am an under-shepherd to the main shepherd. And so what, how I guide, I'll be held accountable to him, ultimately. And I went across that finish line and said, I want Jesus to say, you did a great job. That's my whole goal in life. Sometimes doing a great job means saying, saying no. Sometimes doing a great job means praying for you. But the bottom line here is there's negative, there's negative motives that Peter says you need to avoid. Don't worry, we're getting ready to land. 
We're circling the airport. It's getting ready to land. The right way. The right way. Notice what he writes. Willingly as God would have you. Eagerly. Being examples to the flock. These are the... Let me put it up here. These are the positive motives. Heck, you see us. Ah, heck. Heck, you see us. I better put it up there. Doing something without being forced. And I know I said this earlier. The joke is every pastor resigns on Monday. But most pastors, what I'm finding is they do take Mondays off. You know why? Because after this day, did you know preaching... I'm a little over today, but a 30-minute sermon is considered eight hours worth of work. And by the time this afternoon rolls around, because you spend so much energy, so much effort, at least you should, you should be so emotionally engaged with the sermon that it should be like work. And Luke, you know, Paul said it. Double honor, especially those who are intent in preaching and teaching. There should, look, if there's not passion in the pulpit, how in the world is the sheep going to get passionate about living for Christ? And if there's a mist in the pulpit, there'll be fog in the pews. This is no time to mess around. And we have fun. I'm not saying you can't have fun. But the ultimate thing here is that you preach with all your heart and willingly doing something. Being around you guys and gals, I love, but you know what really drives me to the week is seeing what God has for me in that sermon and how he guides it. And I have to be sensitive to that and go, okay, I didn't think of that. But you do it willingly. And then... Secondly, eagerly, enthusiastically, freely. Prothemos, prothemos means zealously. And, you know, that should be the general attitude. There are some days we all go through. That's another day. Got to get there. And usually the praise team helps me get that, that adrenaline going this morning a couple of songs made my hands go up and and I I get it but you should always try to bring your A game no matter what it is never bring your B game I try not to do that there's some Sundays are harder than others have you ever tried preaching one of the one of the things about preaching is you have to know how to read an audience when you read an audience, what I want to tell young pastors, when you read an audience, sometimes you need a sermon break. The sermon is brought to you by a video clip. The sermon is brought to you by this word. It kind of redirects. But he needs to be enthusiastic. That young man that day was enthusiastic. I, I, I don't know. Maybe his ponytail was going up like this. But I said, man, that was really That was great. That was great. And the kid was, I say kid, he was probably in his mid-30s. But, of course, that, that highway mark for me is back here a ways. 
So anybody younger than me as a kid, yeah. But he was so enthusiastic. You can be enthusiastic and really not be on target. This kid was enthusiastic, young man, was enthusiastic, but he was on target. And that energized me. It spoke to me. That's awesome. Number three, to be an example, two posts. Two posts, a model of behavior to imitate. Okay, for all you ladies, I'm getting ready to put up a little puppy. I know girls will go, oh, that's so nice. Example, there's mom with her ducks. You see how they're following the mom? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Shepherds, even on small scales, we're on a stage, so to speak. And pastors have the obligation of showing the flock what it looks like to follow Christ. And I, I admit this, some, sometimes, uh, sometimes I don't do such a great job at that, but that's not my intent. My intent is not to say, I'm going I'm to show you how not to follow Jesus. That's ludicrous. But overall, and you know, something here for you guys and gals. Live your lives in such a way when you're out in the world to show them what a Christian looks like and to love them. So, pastors shepherd the flock, and I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your love, and we've received... um, We've received gift cards, and uh, there's really no, there's nothing I can add to that except to say thank you. I know many of you pray for me daily. I know that because you tell me, and you pray for Audrey, and I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's huge. You say, well, I can't do anything. Well, you can always pray preached a revival one time and a woman said I can't stand my pastor the way he preaches I was preaching the revival she came up to me after the service she said I loved your sermon it was so great she said I can't stand my pastor he's boring and I looked at her and I said have you prayed for better sermons it's like that was a revelation to her (laughs) If a pastor's erroring and he's out there, it needs to be done. But if you want better sermons and this wasn't quite acceptable to you, <laughs> then pray for better sermons. Pray for me in my studies. That, that kind of thing. Pastors shepherd the flock, but it has to be with a godly attitude, at least as I understand the scripture. So anyway, thank you. Thank you.